Welcome to a very special edition of Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer, and today we're recording from kind of a really weird venue. So we're at the Tavern Stand at Lord's Cricket Ground, which for international audiences, go Google that stuff. It's definitely one of the most uh, bizarre places that we've come to re record, but it is beautiful out there, guys, isn't it? We've got an impressive space to go. Um, I talked to um, some of these guys before, and actually if we maybe start with introducing some of the guests. So Andy, Ellis, RBS... How are you doing? I'm good. Welcome back. You came back for another go. Second, second time. <laughs> well, the second time is always a charm, as they say. So, uh, and alongside it, we have Tundi. So Tundi is a senior partner at McKinsey, and we'll come into a little bit more about what you do in a little while. How's it going? Uh, very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm like, I've got a running thing of being terrible at pronouncing second names. So give me a go. What is, how does, how do you pronounce your second name? Olan Ruadu. But don't worry, I don't use it much myself. Man, I, I never would have got anyone here. Like, it's like Madonna. Is that what it is? It's Just nice. Sunday, yeah. And completing our lineup today, we have Peter Ryan Bells. And Peter, you're the head of large corporates at RBS. That's right. Pleasure to be here. Work closely with Andy and run the most large and complex corporates at the bank across the UK and Western Europe. Fantastic. So do we is any of you guys cricket fans? Is this like a moment I am, I, I have it? My claim to fame is I did play cricket for county and under elevens, mind you. A long time ago. Wow, so you never quite got onto this hallowed ground then? I never right? quite got here, no. Into the stands, but not quite on the pitch. So kicking off, let's go around the table and just do a little bit of who's who and what do we do. So, Tundi, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. So my name is Tunde and I, I lead the digital practice for McKinsey in the UK. I've been with the firm for about 16 years. Most of my time is spent uh, in financial services and uh, the other part in the public sector. Fantastic. Peter? As I mentioned, I run the large corporate proposition for the bank, uh, which is all the large corporates that you recognise household names across the UK and Western Europe, and deliver also the sector strategy for the bank across the various sectors we cover, uh, and deliver that as uh, most effectively and efficiently as we, as we can, and trying to always look for the next steps we can do with our customers at the large end, and also the, the filter down to the smaller customers as we go through the supply chain. Fantastic. Lovely radio voice as well digging that some real interesting sort of complexities in there like you say with the the big uh, big corporates and we'll, we'll definitely come back to that now and andy give everybody a bit of a reminder what do you do so i'm the uh, i look after strategy and innovation in the commercial and the private bank at rbs uh, most of my time actually is on the innovation agenda these days um, around i look after i guess you could call it our ventures um, our internal um, kind of disruptive ideas as we respond to what's going on in the external market Fantastic. And today we're here to talk about new ways of working. So, and actually new ways of working is something that's affecting pretty much every element of industry, whether it be the, the big banks or whether it be the suppliers to those banks as well, in terms of uh, me and you, Tunde, in terms of actually the types of things that we do with big banks globally, I'm sure. So actually, I, I think probably getting into that is, you know, how do you guys start to see this framework move? You know, are we starting to see big new ways of working with uh, partners emerging? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I mean, I could probably just jump in. I mean, for, for us at McKinsey, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks, mate. <laughs> for us at McKinsey, one of the big departures over the last few years is, is really changing the base of talent we have. So within my digital team, we now have software developers, we have UX designers, we have product owners, and we really try to help clients think about what they're doing from a strategy perspective and help them build. And I think that's just a reality in the world we're heading into. You just need a broader 
set of skills to help people do amazing things. And how have you gone about that? Because obviously, like I say, talent is finite, right? You know, there's uh, amazing developers, amazing designers, product people don't grow on trees, unfortunately. That would be an amazing orchard to go to. But um, how are you guys attracting that talent in? It's a really great question. So so part of it is we actually went out and acquired uh, some firms. So as a firm, we've bought an analytics uh, firm called Quantum Black. And we've also uh, bought some uh, industrial design firms, for instance, Luna and another one called Veriday. But then off the back of that, we actually had a lot of people who had these kinds of backgrounds within McKinsey uh, because we've always had a very wide aperture in terms of the kind of people that come and work with us. So it was actually quite natural to make them the core and then get other people that were excited to to work in this new way. Mm. That's amazing. Quantum Black, that's like... That's like the sexiest company name I've ever heard in my entire life. That's impressive. What, what do those guys do? So they do basically big data analytics. So they have a kind of Formula One heritage. So the kind of chief data scientists used to work for McLaren. And uh, they figured out one of the things that I found out quite funny is that in sports, they'll basically do anything to win. So they'll try anything to get an edge. So they got lots of people to try out the analytics techniques and did it on race strategy and then took it into other areas. And then we came knocking. Wow. Very cool. And have you found the, I guess, the, the dynamic of the people that you're working with right now? You know, the, the sort of partnerships model is very much changing, isn't it? You know, it's going away from that, here's a brief, do this thing to, you know, much more of a relationship. I, you know, this is definitely what we're seeing, but I'm sure you're seeing very similar. Absolutely. I think the, the whole world is much more open architecture in every way, right? The way people build tech, the way people build teams, what people need to get done. And, you know, we recognized it. We've been doing it with, you know, our clients and we're excited by it. Frankly, we think it's all about impact and we multiply our impact. Very good. Peter, how about yourself? Yeah, I have a very simple mantra uh, when hiring and building the team at the bank and that's hire attitude and build skills and it's worked incredibly well because there are a lot of clever people around and I think the degrees and the backgrounds are given and that attitude is is so fundamental it's how it fits into what you're trying to create how it what fits into what you're trying to deliver and they all come in with the right attitude engagement. And I, and I build the people, what well, I want, around three elements. That The first is I want them to be connected, connected vertically into the infrastructures, connected into horizontally into our customers, and connected into the industry bodies that we deal with. I also want them to be curious, intellectually curious about everything they see. Don't look at something and take it for granted and go, oh, that's an interesting word, and park it. Find out about what that word is. What's behind it? What's behind who came up with it? Why does it exist? And, and the last thing is proficient. And for us in the bank, it's financially proficient. If I was in a media company, so another media company, you'd be brand proficient. But it's proficiency. So those three things hang below everything I try and do within building the team, the skill set. How about yourself, Andy? Are you sort of finding the, I guess, within the innovation agenda, we're, we're increasingly seeing different models of, of working with partners? That's right, yeah. So I, th- I think there are a few things going on in the workplace. You know, your question as to how we've seen a big shift in, in how, how we work and we get talent. Um, definitely the narrative has shifted. So I think you, you wouldn't meet a bank out there that doesn't want a more digital-led, agile workforce um, with very specific skill sets um, and I think that's really hard to do when you've got tens of thousands of people so the big question is do you do you replace do you repurpose how do you how do you face into that uh, I'm fortunate enough to have a little bit off to the side where I can I can play around a little bit and I guess the 
the success that I've seen uh, in in the market, my, my learning so far is, you know, you can get a lot more done with fewer good people mm. these days, right? So you need the right people with a very specific skill set, and if you get those people, they'll knock it out of the park. So this is not a, this is no longer a mass of of the average. This is finding the very very best. And then when I, if I were to describe what I wanted uh, in someone, and then I I looked at what. Tunde described what he wanted it would be very similar so actually what you're finding is that the likes of McKinsey and the other big five accountancy companies and, and maybe what you're looking for David in 11FS and what we're looking for is a very strong overlap so what's happening is you've got many more people going for fewer fewer good people yeah. and I see that a lot and I, I think that's an interesting thing isn't it you know we've gone almost the, the time for talking has gone away hasn't it and I, and I think the you know the, the agenda now is very much as you say Tundi about kind of getting stuff done you know and, and we're we're very much in that mindset where you know it feels like the um, the deliverables to the customer are now more important than the deliverables to the board um, and that changing mindset I think is really interesting and both from you know from ours and, and I'm sure from you know McKinsey's and RBS's perspective actually that that tension of you know really showing things to market because actually the competitive landscape is changing so dramatically that actually there's no way that it can just be an internal thing anymore right that's right yeah absolutely right yeah I think it's, it's also just there's been a big shift in what it takes to make stuff right so if you think about what it would be to commit you know a, a technology project in the past you know you'd go through lots and lots of approvals you'd build a big business case etc but you know people can put stuff out there fairly quickly and change it and customer behavior has changed that they'll accept that you're working with them to build it and get excited by that. And that's really what's happening. We all, everyone has to take advantage of that shift. But to your point, David, it means that advising people is more about role modeling how to do that than it is about telling them, frankly. And if you can't do then you're not credible, I think. Is, is, that sim- is that simple, right? Wouldn't you agree, Andy? Yeah, I completely agree. And we're finding it actually with, with graduates is, a, is, a, is an important thing because instinctively you think, let's get more grads in, let's get younger, younger people in that will, will be much more adaptable and, and, and have a positive outlook and young skills. But increasingly when, you've, when you're in a small, call it project or business that you've set up, everyone needs to do something every day, a very specific skill. So the days of the kind of generalist learning on the job for a couple of years a kind of a kind of if they're not gone they have you have to adapt in a very different way so you find a lot more um, picking and choosing between employer and employee so you know at some points I need a very specific technology skill and then that's gone and I no longer need that and equally people are looking at me going you know that's interesting now it's no longer interesting in six months so that that long-term contract with individuals is, is getting compressed it's a, it's much more transactional I guess yeah and I guess the the impact for this as well is you know you're working with different companies continually so actually you know the stresses and strains that that puts on like a you know 50 year old procurement process must be quite interesting because like just the, you know all of these things are almost knock-on effects of working in a different way aren't they it feels like you're leading me down a certain path here David. <laughs> <laughs> I resist, but no, I, I think that's right, and I think procurement's not the only function in a in a bank or a corporation which is thinking, you know, we need to get quicker at everything that we do, mm-hmm. uh, and procurement's exactly right. Um, 
Well, and, and there's a lots of different models here. So I know uh, I think uh, I think McKinsey do sort of a JV side of things, and we've seen this with uh, you know uh, people like Bain etc. out there. You know, the almost the putting your expertise where your mouth is type mode, and I think that's great because that that sort of changes the dynamic of the relationship. You know, I'm I'm often kind of saying fintech's more of a threat to the suppliers to banks than the banks themselves um, because it really sort of changes the delivery mechanism, as, as you've said, Tundi. So it's it's interesting that it's rethinking not just the process but the business model that underpins uh, supplier relationships with big banks yeah maybe just to just to amplify that i think what, what we what we found is that people just want different collaboration styles right and it, it depends on the nature of the problem they're going after so to your point david if someone's trying to launch a business in a new area they've never been into before what they really need is some people that they can uh can help them accelerate their path in there, right? So people that can jump in and get them started, not a kind of strategic study of the lay of the land, if you know what I mean. And in that mode, you know, we, we basically are flexible. And I think we've just adapted ourselves to that landscape. I, I mean, it's like what you guys are doing, you know, it's the same kind of really getting in there in the trenches and helping people make stuff done, right? Get stuff done. <laughs> make stuff done yeah you're being way politer than i usually am but uh yeah absolutely let's, 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 he's representing let's, let's a, a luxury <laughs> brand but no no i, I, I agree no, I, I, I agree that um you know that get shit done mentality is very much about uh you know just making stuff happen and that sort of relentless delivery towards an objective and that objective is usually a benefit to a customer you know that's uh, an absolute kind of must in terms of where we're going i think the you know the thing that's really interesting is is like that is almost uh, how do you embody the mentality of a startup? You know, how do you bring about that passion and then that desire for the, the sort of changes? Um, and I guess in you know in big corporates, there's rules for a reason, right? You know, there's a there's a thing, there's a protection, there's a brand, there's all of these things that go around it. So your your desire to make changes, in, in very similar to the the sort of route that we've seen with big IT architecture systems, you know, the 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 system becomes too protect the system not to change the system um, and actually that's you know almost the size is a problem rather than a benefit really um, it's interesting because obviously looking into a lot of the large corporates we deal with and it's quite a privilege to work uh, in the machinery of these large corporates they often and, and frequently seem to just want to set up an innovation lab away from the center which uh we come back and challenge so well, why is it away from the center how you how you bring that in and the typical answer from the i suppose it's the finance side uh, or the ceo and cfo is because when it's come comes in it'll be nicely formed and we can use it and you sort of go well what do your employees thousands of employees say to that they say oh they're waiting for it i said well that to me is it's the wrong mindset if they're waiting for a little shiny object to come floating in yeah. <clears throat> from a little innovation lab that's around somewhere. And and to touch on an early point, the mindset has to be embedded in everyone in the organization. And you, everyone's got to be thinking innovation and not relying on someone else. So when we touch with a lot of these large corporates around this topic, and it is a probably the most mooted topic I speak to at all levels – it's all about how do you bring that innovation to everyone so we can actually drive it uh, through the mindset. So you get, as we know, the ideas and thoughts from those little areas of the organization which would never see the, the light of day. And they probably have got an amazing idea that never actually shines. And so we do that. 
And we're trying to do more of that. And we're trying to get better as all organizations are to your startup and to really shine the light on that. Because every large company has a startup within it. And they just don't know it sometimes. Right. I yeah. think I think to build on that, Peter, I think we're at a stage where everyone's calling quick development innovation, mm. right? And, mm. I, and I think the the better way of thinking about it, particularly if you're a you're a, let's say you're a product organisation within a large corporate or, or a bank, what you're doing is not innovating, but what you should be doing is going. I want agile, multidisciplinary teams that can make decisions quickly. And I want propositions to get to market in a fraction of the time I've been able to do them previously. And you know what? I'm going to work with partners in a much more interesting way than before. Now, I don't call that innovation because I think it, it kind of confuses everyone. And, and, and it's, it's, it's just the new normal. It's the new way that you have to get to market. And I think what will happen, you'll see the innovation name go away over time as we become more mature in this new new set of capabilities is that is that the danger though because we we essentially um yeah, there's so many shiny things right you know there's uh, like ai and uh, everything that's happening in machine learning and blockchain and all these so actually the innovation gets a pretty bad rap because it's like the cool kids in the corner with the shiny yeah. tools i mean this is really interesting one of the um most interesting broker notes i read recently was titled transformation underway, nobody cares, right? <laughs> and I think it's, it's quite interesting to spend time with analysts, you know, that, especially the ones that cover banks, because, you know, frankly, every time they listen to you, what they're listening for is what do I change in my model? And as far as they hear, innovation sounds like extra cost in the short term, and they're not sure what the price is. And, and I think this is a conundrum I see a lot of companies sort of grapple with, which is, you know, we've got this thing on the side, it's not yet in the core, and we know we need to make it bigger, and we know that for a while it's going to cost us money, and then it, there might be a prize at the end. And, and you know, the people who invest in us don't reward that. So, so I think that that's a really complex dance that people are struggling with. Yeah. You know? I, I don't know whether that's something you guys are feeling. No, absolutely. And it, it's, it's very similar to the, I mean, there are, there are a series of things that are happening across many banks and, and industries. One is, how do we bring it in? The other classic one is failing fast. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something we really, really, really struggle with in a corporate because we're not we're not people that have been got the jobs because we've failed a lot in our lives. We've, we're not incentivized in our our kind of end of year objectives and re, uh, to fail at anything. The regulators don't love us to fail. And then we go, uh, can you fail fast? <laughs> and every kind of part of our culture and organisation is saying, don't fail, don't fail. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another one that's a as a classic that I think is a is one that's hard to hard to navigate Just one point on that I think um, I was with a CEO of a large um, retail chain recently and it's all about the tone from the top of how you bring those pieces in right and he describes the stores not as a, a new store we're going to refurb and make it better he says these are boxes where exciting things will happen and I think that tone from the top will set the investors the people an environment to reward the prize, whatever it happens to be. But if you set that vision and it's very clear, that is a key element. I, I mean, I think there's a big. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful, given it's my job, uh, <laughs> that there'll be a snowball effect. Yeah. Right. So you kind of start delivering some things. I'm very keen that you, you know, when I started this job, that I delivered some stuff that was visible, so people realise, you know, this is not a funny little lab that goes away for a couple of years. But the more things you you deliver, the more people believe, the more positivity you get. So I think that's the... But you've still got to back yourself because you're still not quite sure where this is going to end up, which yeah. is a very different way that we're all used to working. It's momentum, isn't it, as you say? So, but I, And I think the thing is, you know, where we're talking about 
you know, innovation is usually a technology. You know, people think about it in a technology sense. But the most impactful thing that people are innovating around, to your point, Andy, is the business model. Yeah. And actually with that comes wholesale cultural change. You know, the tone of a company is not ever set just from, you know, the, the people at the bottom it's actually the the tone from the top and that's the that's the key thing like you say direction is always the you know from the front of the ship essentially right exactly and and also it's when you build up the the bowels of the ship should we say and uh, i have the privilege of, of running the graduate program parts of it at, for, for the bank and uh one thing i'm trying to change in the mindset is i'm trying to say well i don't want to hire graduates never looks at me some sort of horror and what on earth are you talking about and I said, no, I want to hire different sort of people. I said, what do you mean? I want to hire, I don't know, let me call them phenologists. And everyone looks at me like, okay. Took a few years, but he got there eventually. We all knew it was going to happen. Uh, <laughs> so phenologists. Phenologists. So fin okay. hyphenologists. So fin financially proficient. Because you're never going to take that away. You want to deal with a professional in the finance organization, which yeah. we are. And that's a linear learning, which we're going to skill you up with. The ology is linking into the technological changes that happening within our customers, within, the, within our industry, and across the market. And you've got to understand those pieces, put them together, so that the people I want to bring in will be financially proficient, but they'll be linking in the technology and really understanding it more so than our customers and helping bring our customers, whether it's the large corporates, mid, even some of the retail, up with us. So actually, and it's a different thing. If you go to a, a university where I was recently, I said, I want to hire some phenologists. Everyone goes, yeah, pick me, pick me. I want to hire a banking graduate. And it's sort of stony silence. It does of. sound cooler. If I hear McKinsey are coming out with a phenology insider podcast in a couple of weeks' time, <laughs> I'm going to be really upset. I'm just saying. So, uh, Somebody buy that domain right now if you're listening. The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription. Fintech innovation is changing the way we bank. And the speed we deploy new customer experiences is vital. Onboarding the right fintech partners can take months. Do you have time to lose? Introducing the Innovation Acceleration Platform from Temenos. Test fintech solutions at speed with real data straight from the core banking system. With a yearly subscription, you can begin testing the same day and create new customer experiences in no time. For more details, visit marketplace.temenos.com. Um, so, so I guess, like you say, this this cultural shift. Like, how how is that really sort of manifesting itself? Because I, I guess we we've talked about recruitment. You know, recruitment is definitely one thing. You know, are we seeing any other impacts in terms of uh, you know all of the businesses that we we work with. I think I think there are a couple of things going on. Um, one, the shift to multidisciplinary and agile is just common sense, right? So if you if you kind of go, what's the most efficient way of making decisions in a business? Now you've got tech that can move very quickly. Do you want silos of massive functions or do you want everyone in a room that's empowered to make a decision, right? It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. So so common sense is, is, is there. So I, so I kind of fundamentally buy that and I fundamentally buy that even if you can't get tech in the room to open the bonnet and make the change, it's probably still worth doing because idea to design is much quicker. So I think I buy that completely. The problem that you get then when you put people who have grown up in different organization, different organizational constructs is that they're not used to operating in this environment. And the, the big one that I see 
is people have stopped making decisions. So you can you can be in a large organization, quite senior middle management, having been many many years, and you've actually stopped making decisions, and and people have lost that ability, that appetite, that that kind of have I got permission to do this? And that's one of the biggest things that I actually see as a cultural shift. Now, what you then get is someone that loves making decisions, and you put them in their environment. And, and they're off. And most people do love making decisions, by the way. They've just lost the art of doing it. And, and I think you will start to see more and more people get that get that kind of, yeah, I love making decisions. I feel empowered. But it doesn't come naturally to an organization. And, and I am yet, having done this for 18 months, I can't think of a single example where someone's made a decision that I thought is out of their mandate or they should have come to me and they haven't. I don't think anyone's pushed it to my boundaries which is really interesting I'm looking at my team actually yeah. across here so, and Sophie I think, over there you're yeah. like you got, you got some boundaries to push right now right? I'm not throwing the challenge down by the way but then you know people people will get to the point where they go I've made a decision is that okay can I run it by you which, which is equally fine but you know it's not a I haven't got 50 or 60 people there that are just comfortable making lots of decisions. I think, it, I think I mean, it's a really to come. Yeah, it's a really interesting tension as well, because it's almost like when you've got uh, when you've got nothing to lose. Right. When when, you know, a, a small fintech has got nothing to lose, then actually, you know, it's about being uh, the adversary to banks and actually being in that position where you've got things to chase. You know, if you've got no customers, you've got nothing to lose. Right. Um, big organizations have got kind of everything to lose you know you've got a brand to protect you've got customers you've got systems you've got all of these things in in place um you know and i I think that's the interesting sort of backdrop to everything that's happening from a competitive perspective is now and and you must see this in the the corporates that you work with as well you know like we're we're not in a scenario where this is just a um, you know a banking problem this is a big company problem that we see everywhere right that's a disruption across the whole industry I mean, just on Andy's point I always call it the warm comfort blanket of the monthly paycheck nulls the innovation and the drive and I think your point is well made is that you know you have to have nothing to lose in a, in a small company in a large company you can just meander around a bit and the, the decision making is, is huge important uh, to actually drive the organisation forward so, so how do you bring about that edge you know how, how in you know big companies how, how do they get that fight back because, because that's the thing isn't it you know like you know, starting a company, I'll run through a wall to make something happen in terms of kind of where we're going. How do you bring that edge back to your your employees? How do you bring that edge back to what it is that you're delivering to a, to a big customer? I think, so we touched on earlier the mindset and that underpins everything. You, you've got to have that mindset of like-minded people that are driving this business forward. They look at the business you're in, the part of the business you're in, and they want to make it the best. And what does the best mean? You're constantly looking left, right, sideways, upwards and downwards. You you want to be the best. There's an inner desire uh, to, to get to that point. And you want to, your customers you deal with to view you as the best. They, you know, we're in a cricket ground now and there's people on that pitch out there that you know, go out there to be the best. They don't go out just to hit, hit, hit a ball over the boundary occasionally. Um, they want to be the best at it. And, and that's what we get. And, and that reflection and that drive, that edge you talk about, is is within that those pods of people you employ and have around you and it's infectious it's hugely infectious when you see someone to your left or right you know just pushing the boundaries doing something new doing something different saying oh it's a new way of doing things it it just snowballs on and the next person wants to do the next thing better 
You know, I, I used a little term uh, recently called the, the try cycle, as in T-R-Y cycle, uh, which is just try things, balance the outcome, and see what bits are successful in that outcome, and have a go again, and just get into that trying cycle. I mean, people would say, well, Peter, you're just describing fail fast, but hey, my positive guy, I don't like the word fail too much, <laughs> so I don't use it. And I think the try cycle to me picks it up, and, and that's why I'm trying to embed into everyone I meet, like the customers, the, the peers, anyone in my in my business. So I say, what have you tried today? They go, what do you mean? Well, what have you tried? What, what have you actually gone out? You got up and tried something, and that's the point. And is making is that you've got to have a little way of having a decision to do something. If you don't try it, you'll never know. We'll just end up in a room guessing and go, well, this might work. I don't know. Does it work? I don't know. What do you think? And then it's probably the, the most senior person goes, I think it'll work. And off you go and run around. And funny enough, it might not work. Yeah. Well, I, I guess uh, that's a really valid point. Do senior stakeholders know the right thing to do? Yeah, I, I was going to comment on that because one of the things that I see a lot is, frankly, that a lot of boards and senior leaders have a lot of stuff to get up to speed on. Right, and they're trying to run a business at the same time. And when you when you kind of look at businesses, a lot of businesses are based on exploiting the same innovation that they made a long time ago on a continuous basis. Whilst lots of new companies are constantly having to change what they are, right, every couple of years. In fact, I think there was a recent blog that said that's why you have more founders staying with companies for longer because you need the vision person to keep changing as opposed to kind of swapping out for professional management as it used to be the, the way. And I think that's just what's happening. More and more industries have to keep changing every couple of years what the product is, how they come to market. And when that pressure hits your industry, I think, David, that becomes the time when people realize they need to do something different. Unfortunately, there's still lots of industries, you know. I mean, banking is as far as I saw, has been earning about the same spread for the last 100 years, right? <laughs> Reduced by sort of 2, 2% or something. So it's, it's finally getting chipped away at. And, you know, the, the primacy of the, uh, of the branch, etc., is, is changing. But uh, lots of other industries, frankly, no one's coming for them yet, right? Going to go back to your, your, your question, David, around, you know, what, what does it take to get a an employee in a corporate to, to kind of run through a wall for you. And I think there are a few things that we need to get better at collectively. I think one is we need to, you know, the, the bar is quite high for good people to come work for you. First of all, they want a, a good place to work, right? The environment needs to be right. The people around them need to be right. And they need to get sponsorship. So they, they're looking at that before they'll even come through the door for a chat. And then there's got to be some purpose, right? So why are they here? What are they doing? You know, are they here to make an old machine go a bit quicker or keep it a bit safer? Not really. Uh, I think it was, um, you mentioned recently, um, it's about impact. People want to make impact. They don't want to move a little button on a screen or or change a policy. So you've got to give them the opportunity to make impact. And then I think once you've got some of those environmental factors in place, you need to look at how you manage and incentivize people. You know, most organizations have got a ratings uh, profile of how you do. It's maybe one to five or one to four. It's usually binary. People are working towards that. May or may not make a difference to what you get paid at the end of the year. Does it really matter? Does it really incentivize people? I think we need to challenge that if that's right for the the modern world uh, when we've got much more... Uh, purposeful individuals and, and projects are finished much more quickly on this kind of annual cycle. And then secondly, there's this this hierarchy, and, and particularly in banks, you know, we've got about f- steps from graduate to MD. I think we've probably got collectively five or six. 
And is that does that motivate people? Are we managing people the right way? Does that make people run through walls? And if it doesn't, what are they there for? Mm-hmm. Right? If we're putting people together in agile rooms, going, you're all you're all ten or twelve of you, and you're all making decisions. Does it matter if one's an MD, one's an ED, one's a director? Mm-hmm. Not really. So I think I think there are things where I don't know, know what the answer. I'm not sure if we're all addressing these actively, but I think if you look at those 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 things, those structures, yeah. Are they designed to make someone run through a wall? I'm, I'm not sure. I think it's. I think it's really interesting. We're, we're not. Um the person at the top of the company isn't necessarily the smartest person at the company anymore. You know, if you look at um, like Google or something like the engineers who are the people kind of two or three levels down are actually the people who are making all of the changes. You know, like I'm definitely not the smartest guy at 11FS. Like there's like everybody else is smarter than me at this company. Yeah, I know. Like, like my reputation precedes me. But do you, but do you know what I mean? It's, it's actually I think we're moving much more to sort of like a sports team metaphor. Like actually where, you know, you can have have you know David Beckham and Ronaldo and all these players like playing together but actually and actually you know somebody like uh, um, you know an Alex Ferguson or whatever is is the manager of that setup but they don't necessarily need to be the either the highest paid or the 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 uh, the person who's the smartest in where we're going and I think the the difference there is that actually it takes a real different level of kind of emotional intelligence to you know manage in this type of day and age really um, and I think it's one of those things that big companies really really struggle with that type of thing you know we're we're definitely seeing the the kind of fallout of that I think in many industries and bankings you know definitely not uh, not any different from that I think there's a big new skill set around getting the right partners or, or people and curating them into a, a very purposeful project which might not last for forever and then it gets there and you do it again. Yeah. Uh, and that can be external partners, it can be internal partners, but you've got to be able to bridge and curate that that ecosystem. I think the consultancies are finding that and, and individually I find that quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I, as someone who walks into lots of companies all the time, there's definitely a skill set in partnering effectively. And lots of people actually don't know the best way to collaborate with third parties and get the most out of it. And it takes real investment. And when people get it right, they obviously achieve multiples of you know what they could have done singly. Uh, and uh, you know, David mentioned it earlier. The simplest one is sort of some of the procurement processes I've had to see fintechs jump through to just do a proof of concept with with a large company. I mean, it makes no sense. You know, they've got employees who are focused on building the right product, understanding the customer, and all of a sudden they have to spend like weeks filling in. Uh, you know, health and safety assessments, and uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sure you've you've seen that pain, David. <laughs> well, I'm I'm notoriously quite risky, so I can understand it pretty well. So, um, but I, I guess so. You know, we're saying innovation isn't about technology; it's about people and process. And, and I think that's maybe like the most fundamental thing that people can take away from this. But but what's what's next then? You know, how do we really sort of move to that future? How do we move the dial when you're a you know, you guys are a, an organization of what? 70,000, 80,000 uh, people? 100,000. 100,000, wow. It's like, how, how, do you, how do you implement this at scale? I mean, That's got to be I'll the challenge. I'll pass that one to Peter, I think. Cause he's, he's oh, I, I suppose I can just talk personally. What I've done my direct business, which I think could roll out quite neatly, is I think we've touched on a, a few points. And one of the points we have touched on is we get very cluttered around what we're trying to do uh, day in, day out. And so you've got to take uh, your people, the staff, or even with your customers out for what I would call some free time. So I've, I've put in uh, some uh, recent sort of free to think sessions. So I basically take a quarter of my team out of the office to a different environment, 
like we are here today, and we have one singular topic we talk about. One singular topic. And then we break into groups. We have three hours to discuss that topic and thoughts around it. For example, service was one. Insight was another one we've done. And the banker of 2025. So specifically, we get that group of individuals really, really laser focusing on that particular point. And what I have found out of that is that you get a lot of stuff in the future. It all sounds great. We want to do X and Y. But actually, you can navigate quite quickly to stuff you can actually do today to move the organization around that particular topic. And you can then go back into your organization and make changes from it. And I think it's hugely important. You can take that concept and you just put it into your week. You can have a, what's your free to think hour? What do you mean? Well, that's, it's up to you. But I would really counsel everyone to have it on one particular topic because, you know, if our minds are cluttered and you are free to think, you'll be decluttering and that's not what we want to be doing you're refocusing so i found that hugely impactful and it's also the side effects i didn't expect was the engagement i got from from the people doing it they came away buzzing they came out of these these sort of three-hour sessions really on fire and their ideas were way off where any other sort of banker or financial professional would be and so it's, it's it's pushing that group into a different way and giving them the free time to do it yeah i, I so we we've spoken to a, a number of people in the past and that consistently comes out you know it's about having the freedom of of actually assessing the thing that you're doing you know there's so many organizations are so consumed with doing the thing that they have been asked to do that actually sort of standing back and saying is this the better way of doing it is is always a thing to do it was the thing i always used to get told off for as a child i'll be honest with you like just bloody do it david was the thing that i reoccurringly heard but uh, but no i completely Sponsored understand what by you're nike saying. then were you? Um, <laughs> pretty much yeah that's for, for as a baby which is which is nice um but yeah thanks very much for guys for joining us on this i think it's a fascinating thing i think actually the the sort of challenge of cultural transformation is continually a, a piece i don't think this is ever something that is done and for any companies that are kind of thinking that uh, you is a it's a project that you put away and it's done and you're dusted and you move on never happens so uh, guys thanks for joining us thanks Thank for having you very much pleasure and that wraps up another episode of fintech insider if you liked what you heard subscribe to our podcast and leave, leave us a review on itunes we love reading those reviews thanks for everything see you soon